0: Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Numbers 14. Numbers 14. No, there's not a handout. The last handout I gave you uh, just had a general, what in the world happens to make an 11-day journey into a 40-year situation? That's the last handout that I gave you. Um, and the, and if you, and if you got a copy of that, the majority of it was, was blank. And the reason is, is because it's more note taking than it is just meticulous notes. Uh, now I will say this and and we can say this in confidence. Uh, there is a secret, uh, page on the website that you can't get to through any icon. You have to type in the website address. Uh, it is for people that are involved in the Deuteronomy study only. Uh, Mitch can give you the address to it, but it 's got all of the Deuteronomy studies recorded and so if you want if you want to listen online you can go back ask him he'll let you know what the secret page is uh, we're not looking necessarily to throw everything that we have out there on the internet uh, there are some things that need to just be kept in house and so I hope everybody can appreciate that so everybody good everybody get cake so we got some sugar to last us for the next forty five minutes it's good Awesome. I'll tell you what, let's pray together. We'll jump in. Thank you, Father, for your word, uh, the majesty of um, who you are and how you've revealed yourself to people. Father, help us to see, help us to understand um, all that you show us today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. It's very interesting to see that the topic we talked about uh, for worship today is actually going to coincide perfectly with where we are going to finish up in our little section in Numbers. Remember, the whole idea is at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 1, there is a comment that is made that something that took an 11-day journey to the promised land ended up taking 40 years to accomplish, and what in the world happened? And we are examining the situation that caused such a great turning point, and my goal is to get done with that today. So we're in Numbers chapter 14. If you remember, they sent spies into the land. After sending spies into the land, they came back and they had a report. Yeah, the land is as amazing as God told us it would be. But there's also all kinds of obstacles, opposition, some craziness that's going on in the land as well. And so our whole idea as representatives of these spies is to give a bad report to everybody so we're not going to go. Joshua and Caleb are set apart and saying, no, we need to trust the Lord no matter what. No matter what, his word is true. He's told us we can take it. We can take the lamb. When they make this type of announcement in order to calm the emotions and get everybody refocused on the promises of God, does everybody remember what their response was? How did the people respond to Joshua and Caleb trying to get truth back into the minds of the people? They wanted to stone them. They wanted to pick up rocks and beat them to death. Now remember, Moses and Aaron are lying prostrate on the ground seeking God's face because the people are starting to riot and they're all in an uproar. So that's kind of where everyone is mentally in this situation. Out of probably two million people, you've got four that have their wits about them. That sounds about right, doesn't it? That sounds about what the statistics would prove to be true when it comes to do we trust God or do we not? So we're going to pick up in verse Or verse 10. Well, Let's do verse 9, I'm sorry. Here is Joshua and Caleb's instructions. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said uh, said to stone them with stones. Now here's the pivotal moment. Watch this. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Yahweh intervenes. And when he shows up in his glory and he would appear in the tent, it got everybody's attention quickly. It started to hush everybody down because when, I mean, just for no other reason, when God would show up there to manifest his presence by glory, you couldn't help but to pay attention to what was going on. It was one of those type of events. So now notice verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, now pay attention, how long will this people spurn me and how long will they, what does it say church, not believe. What's the problem here? Unbelief. Unbelief is the enemy of God. This is the problem. How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? Do you ever sit back and you read through the Exodus stuff and you're like, man, these people, they just didn't get it. If I were there, right, and I saw the pillar by day and the fire by night, I would have responded to God. I would have been holy. I would have obeyed. I would have been telling all these people, giving them the what for. We often want to put ourselves in their sandals and think we would have fared better. Be careful. I don't know that we would have. Verse 12. Now, this this is amazing. Watch this. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them and i will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they what is the problem here we're going to see it's going to moses is going to intercede which talks a lot about the value of prayer we're going to speak about that for a minute here but i want you to see notice what god just told moses i'm going to strike them all down with a pestilence doesn't sound like a fun way to go out right And then I'm going to dispossess them. They're going to have nowhere to be. And you know what? Utterly destroy them. I'll start over with you, Moses. What's the problem there? Do we know? Is God lying? Is God testing? God is testing Moses. What's that? God made a covenant with Abraham. It's true. I mean, Moses is still Jewish, so that covenant could continue on. What tribe is Moses from? Do we know? <laughs> that's that's the safe answer. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? I'll say that in a minute. <laughs> that's hilarious. He's a Levite. Remember, Aaron's his brother, and Aaron is the first Levitical priest. Moses is a Levite. When I said that question, <laughs> Leland said, Uh, Not Judah, right? (laughs) Because in Genesis at the end, I think it's chapter 49. Remember whenever Israel gives the blessings, we remember Ephraim and Manasseh, he crosses his hands and those things. But he blesses them and he talks about how the scepter will not pass from Judah. The line of Judah is the line that will carry the Messiah forward. So notice, he's testing Moses. Could God destroy all of Israel, and start over with just Moses and fulfill his promise of bringing bringing out a Messiah. He cannot. So notice he is testing Moses according to his word. Now for Moses, Moses is probably sick of these people. He's probably sitting there going, you know what, Lord, you're right. They don't believe nothing. Here, make me great. I'll follow you. You know I will. I've been doing it this whole time. But notice, that's not the type of character that Moses had. That's not how he was operating. That's not how he was ingrained. He was much more humble than that. And so it says here, verse 13, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength, you brought up this people from your midst. Now, hold on. God says he's going to do something and Moses is stepping in and going, wait a second, God, just hold on now. He is calling God to stop. Any of us ever thought about praying and one of the first things we said is, God, stop. Anybody anybody start their prayers that way. I know I don't. I'm like, God, I'm just going to take whatever you give me. I'm just <laughs> I just don't want to want, want to be you know on your bad side, right? But notice here, the Egyptians will hear of it. It has to do with God's reputation and character amongst the nations. And look what it says. For by your strength, you brought up this people from their midst, verse 14, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of your people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye. Man, that's worth underlining. The way that you present yourself, God, is different from how any other supposed God manifests themselves. Everybody's making idols. Everybody's burning their children. It's ridiculous. God, you actually manifest yourself and you met me through a burning bush that was not consumed. You actually talked to me face to face. Very interesting relationship how God condescends himself, how Yahweh brings himself low in order to communicate with people. And he says here, while your cloud stands over them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land, which he, what? Promised them how? By what? By oath. God, you would be breaking your word. Your very thing that is supposed to be sure and certain at all times, you would actually be breaking that and the nations who know your commitment to Israel will make note of it. God, it will tarnish your character amongst people. Notice it says here, therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Since he couldn't deal with them, since he couldn't bring them forward, he just got rid of them. Well, God, that's gonna violate your word. Notice that he's testing Moses and the way to pass the test, get this, the way to pass the test is always come back to God's word. Always come back to God's word. What God has said goes, period. It's all about his word, period. It really doesn't get any more extravagant than that. His word is all that we need to live, breathe, and survive. That is it. So he says here, verse 17, But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. Now, real quick, if you want more, another instance where Moses intercedes for the people, if you want to write down Exodus 32, that's a good place to go. Moses intercedes for the people a second time, or actually a first time before this in doing so so now here's what's great verse 18 moses quotes god's scripture now we talk about praying scripture anybody here pray scripture certain things we pray in scripture okay especially psalms we find those very helpful maybe there's some things we pray in scripture because you know the scriptures in line with the will of god so it's a safe bet every time right I love the fact that Moses, a man, is going to let God know what his word says. Okay? It's interesting. And if you want to know where this is quoted from, it's it's Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. We actually read it last week. But verse 18, the Lord is slow to anger. Stop for a second. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord is slow to anger? Do we sometimes run the risk of operating almost like... uh, i don't know he's your dad out in the backyard cutting a switch just waiting for you to mess up kind of thing he's gonna get the back of your legs with it anybody ever have that happen no i'm the only person in this room that's been switched You're from kentucky. that's true <laughs> man they switch you in kentucky it's not good roxanne you've been switched yes, sir. Okay, from tennessee <laughs> y'all need to learn about switching right so but seriously Those those people in Madison would be a lot more in line if we could just switch them, right? Is that the problem? So, but I mean, seriously, God is slow to anger. He doesn't get angry easily. It's not a newsflash to him that he's dealing with sinners, okay? In fact, remember this. This is an important part to get because we're gonna see this later as we go through Deuteronomy. In the law, he gives provision for sacrifice to atone for the sins committed when you break the law. That's in the law. Why would it be in the law if he expected perfection out of his people? God doesn't expect perfection. He wants faithfulness. That's what he set us up for. But he's not expecting perfection. He is not a tyrant father that is so hard to appease or, or, or something like that, that he's looking for an excuse to black our eyes. That's not who he is. That's how he's painted by a lot of people. And maybe depending on our father's situation growing up, that might be how we think about him. But take him for what it says in the word. He is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. This loving kindness word, it's the word hesed in Hebrew. It means his loyal love. He loyally loves us it would be the idea of agape in the new testament loving kindness is the idea of his loyal love and he uses it twice in this little passage here he says in uh, abundant and loving kindness forgiving iniquity and transgression but now watch this is he gracious is he loving absolutely he is but you can never pump up one of god's attributes and leave the others in the dust he doesn't work like that okay look what it says But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Sin has generational consequences. And sometimes it takes a real drastic encounter with the Lord in order to break generational sin. It does. You don't believe me? Think about your dad, think about your mom. Think about your grandparents. Think about their parents. And ask yourselves what are the skeletons in the closet that have found their way trickling down the family line that almost seems to be ingrained in your very DNA? It is only an understanding of God's word of what those sins are and coming to a conclusion that, man, there needs to be some sort of repentance in this situation. My family line needs to change their mind about how they thought about this. Let me give you an example you trace some family lines back far enough, you'll find that some of our ancestors owned slaves. Evil. And not in, in, in slavery, Old Testament, and slavery, What you're dealing with the Confederates and things like that, two totally different mindsets. All you need to do to read the Bible to know the difference of what compassion that a slave owner was to show on the slaves at that time. It's more like a work and work, uh, employee-employer uh, relationship type thing. Not like what they were doing in the Confederate South, man. Some of that stuff needs to be repented of. Some of that stuff needs to understand is that attitude, just because my grandmother had that attitude in that way, it's not the biblical way of thinking about it. Generational curses. It's crazy. So it says here, verse 19, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. God, how great is your loyal love? Pardon them to that extent is the idea. Just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until... Now, Moses stands in the gap. He intercedes for the people. Now, the way that the people have acted with Moses, I don't know that I would be as compassionate at that time. I mean, these are people that were just wanting to stone him two minutes ago. And here he is praying. And, and, and remember this. What position is Moses in while he's saying this? He's on his face before the Lord. Humbly seeking Him not to completely destroy these people. Incredible. Verse 20. So the Lord said, I've pardoned them according to your word. Their sin has been pardoned. However, that doesn't mean that they don't suffer the consequences of their sin. See, it's one thing to have sin that is not pardoned. It's another thing to be dealing with the consequences of the sin that you committed. That's why it's so important to understand that we're not putting it together. Just because somebody is forgiven doesn't mean that the consequences for their actions go away or don't come into effect. That takes the responsibility out of living life. That's insane. Nobody operates that way. For some reason, when we come to the Bible, sometimes our thinking gets jaded about how that should be. Well, God, if you really love me, you wouldn't make me go through this. Man, that's the wrong way to face a trial. It really is. So notice this, verse 21, but indeed, as I live, and here is really the rubbing point. If you really want to know what this whole situation does, this is it. As I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's really the point. Why are you here? Why was Israel where they were? Why was Abraham called how he was called? Why were they developed as they were developed? One reason and one reason only. To to give glory to God. The chief pinnacle of all of history is not salvation. That is only one piece in the trivial pursuit pie of everything that God is doing. And the pie is God will be glorified amongst all things. This is why disobedience is so bad in these situations. It tarnishes... The glory of god amongst unbelievers have you ever had a person who's done something wrong being a christian and you've had other people say oh well i thought they were a christian oh well if they were christian they should have acted better than that have you ever had those repercussions i had this guy call me one time he said jeremy i hate my job i said okay i said you need your job to live survive they're giving you a paycheck I just don't know if I can deal with them anymore. I was like, well, what's wrong? Well, they've given this quota that we have to meet. We have to meet it in two days. We couldn't do that much business. We couldn't make this quota if we had four days to do it. And he's promised that we're going to get it all done in two days, and I can't believe it. Is your boss an unbeliever? Yes, he is. Does he know that you're a believer? Yes, he does. He said, I'm just ready to just throw up my hands and just walk out of this place. I said, don't do that because when you do, they will blame you for not making the quota, and they will slander your God. Okay, okay. Hung up the phone. Four hours later, I get a call. Man, I quit my job. I just couldn't handle it anymore. At which point I'm going like this. You know? So well, what did they say when you when you when you walked out? Well, I mean, they were mad. They were really upset about it. And the owner's wife said, I thought he was, what, a Christian. God being slandered because of our willing unfaithfulness. It's no different here. The whole reason why we exist is to give God glory. In fact, what we're going to see in Deuteronomy 4 is that Israel was to serve as the mouthpiece to the nations. How is the world supposed to know about God? Because when they look at how Israel operates, when they settle into the land, they are going to be astounded that no one else in the world operates like they do. What? They only marry one woman and have kids through that and have a healthy family that way? What? That's crazy. What? They worship their God and their God interacts with them? What? Whenever they sin, they just simply bring a sacrifice of atonement for that sin. He accepts them and blesses them and, and it has fellowship with them. Their God actually comes down and talks with them and it was to blow people's minds. But because of their rampant disobedience and idolatry, the name of God was besmirched, it's a good word. It's a Sean Hannity word, right? So, notice this, I don't watch him. Notice this, moving on, verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet, even though they saw that, yet, have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, and have rejected my word. Ten times! Any of you got kids that have disobeyed you 10 times and something? Get rid of you and start over with another one, right? Terrible way, to, terrible way to parent. Moving on, verse 23. Shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. Their sin still has consequence. I've forgiven their iniquity. We can now operate in harmony once again. But because they disobeyed, they will suffer consequences. Let this be a real good lesson. You can easily forgive your children. Let's parent like God does, okay? And having 19-month-old, I know everything about parenting. But let's take it from God who knows everything about parenting, right? Forgive your kids for the wrong they do. But don't let the consequences of their actions go. Because then they will get away with everything and they are just a victim of their circumstances. And, oh, well, you you let this go last time. How come you can't let it go now? Man, God is the perfect model. He does not allow his love to outweigh his justice, and he does not allow his justice to outweigh his love. The fact that he even operates with us intimately is grace. Get that. So it would be really good to take this pointer from him. Forgive? Yeah. Be all about forgiving. What else do I expect my child to do but wrong things? That's what they do. They mess up just like I do. But notice that. Don't let the consequences go. God needs to teach them a sound lesson. And by teaching them this lesson, this is why the book of Deuteronomy has any weight to it whatsoever. So notice and moving on here. He says, you shall not see the land. Verse 24, but here's the exception. My servant Caleb, and please mark this, because he has a different spirit, There's the first thing that's different about him. Watch that. He has a different spirit and he has followed me fully. When the going got tough, he didn't waver. He stuck with my word. He held fast to what I said, no matter what. Didn't matter how bleak the situation. What do you think it means that there's a different spirit in him? Is that like not the Holy Spirit or did he have the Holy Spirit and everybody else had like the whatever spirit? I mean, what is that? He has a different spirit in him. There's something different about Caleb. He what? He believes, so that was a big deal. What else? He's trusting, that's good. He's loyal, obedient. Do you think he has a track record of these things? Notice he's characterized by something different. The children of Israel are always vacillating. Always back and forth, back and forth, back, good grief. Notice that Caleb remains steadfast. It's what God said, and God said alone, and that's it. I tell you what, if we could just learn that, man, how life would be crazy different. How life would be incredible different. So notice, my servant Caleb, because he's a different spirit, he's followed me fully. I will bring him, or I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. In other words, because he was faithful in this hard time, don't miss how this is connected to earlier. Because he was faithful, he will receive an inheritance. Does everybody see that? Because he is faithful in what God said, he is guaranteed an inheritance. His family will inherit in the land. Now get this. The Old Testament model is a type of how salvation works, with what we understand theologically in the New Testament. I know I've said it. I'll say it again. It's okay. Being in bondage, the only way to be set free is by applying the blood. We apply the blood to the doorposts of our life, however you want to say that, by faith and faith alone. The blood has been provided for us. It causes death to pass over us, and we are then set free we then receive out from under bondage instruction for living. And now we have a choice to make. Will we live by the instructions of the Lord and follow his word and enter into a rich land where we will have this inheritance and we will gain ownership there? Or when it comes time in this test to trust his word and to enter in, we will shrink back and run and be swayed by others' opinions and therefore not receive an inheritance. Does everybody see how that works? The children of Israel are an example of this salvation truth. There are some Christians who, because they won't obey the Lord, will not receive an inheritance. They will be in the kingdom, but they will not be ruling and reigning alongside Christ. They won't have responsibility. They won't have any rewards to show for it whatsoever. They will be saved people who lived disobediently. This is how carnal Christians are still a valid thing from uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 and 2. I think it is. That's how carnal Christians are still a valid thing. is because them being accepted by the Lord is based on the work of Christ. Their faith is how they appropriate that work to their life. But as far as having approval before Jesus in his judgment seat, it has to do with faithfulness. This is the ramifications of unbelief in our life. So it says here, verse 25, Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You now have new directions. You are no longer moving forward to possess the land. You are now to stop because the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there in the land, and you are to turn around, and you are to start heading back into the wilderness, away from the land that I promised you. Now, why does he bring up that the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there? Weren't they there before? when they sent the spies out? I mean, isn't that who they spied on? Who you got spied on? Malachites and the Canaanites, right? So so why does he bring that up again? What's different? What's different now? Before they were going in to possess the land, now what? Now they're losing the land. And notice he's saying, you can't go forward because the Canaanites and the Malachites are there. Wait a second, they were there before God. Why does this matter now? What's the difference? Roxanne, what's the difference? Exactly. Exactly. Who was going to fight their battle? God was. God is the one who says you will be victorious or you won't be victorious. Second Kings is full of that. Let's go consult the prophet of the Lord to find out if we'll win this battle. Can we go up and can we take this place? Excellent stuff. But notice, if God isn't with you, you will conquer nothing. Doesn't Jesus say something like that? Right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you'll do what? Nothing. And so what do they have to do? Abide. Everybody see this Old Testament example is communicating New Testament spiritual truth. Abiding in the vine. Remaining. Sticking with it. Holding fast to the word no matter how difficult it comes. Everybody see it? See, this is super, this is a super jazzy passage. So notice here. The Lord spoke to Moses again, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Now watch this. And I'm pretty sure I haven't totally figured it out yet, but I want to introduce two real technical terms. Everybody got a technical mind this morning? Everybody had cake, right? Who had cake and coffee? Okay, so you guys can totally handle this. Here we go, okay? There's one of two things, if not both things, going on here. One is called a chiasm, and the other one is called an inclusio, okay? Super $5 Scrabble words, okay? The first one is chiasm. It's spelled C-H-I-A-S-M, and here's what that is. Somebody in Scripture, it's a literary device to communicate something. The writer of Scripture will set something... Make a statement, and then you'll read down a little bit, and you'll find something that either parallels this statement exactly or an opposite, either one. Does that make sense? So like, for instance, right here it says, uh, verse 29, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. If you go down just a little bit, verse 32, but as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Everybody see that? So you would label the first one as A, And the last one there is A, apostrophe. And then you work your way in from that. Coming down, B, working up, B, apostrophe. And the reason is, is because when you get in the middle, there's a main idea that the writer wants to communicate to you. Now, I was working with this, trying to figure it out yet. I haven't totally done it. That's a chiasm. The other one is an inclusio. An inclusio is a statement here and a statement here, just like we read about the corpses in the wilderness, but the idea is is it forms a unit of thought that you need to pay special attention to. It's almost like it has bookends, and it's the material in the middle that is really supposed to make an impact on you to communicate a point. Either one, we can work with it. So notice, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Even all your numbered men, uh, your your, uh, uh, really strong Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger type of uh, protein shake men is what that means. According to your complete number from 20 years old upward, everyone 20 and over will die is the idea. Think about it. That means if you are 19 and under, you will remain alive, but you will be how old? 59 years old when you enter into the promised land. That'll be the oldest person at that time with the exception of Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, okay? So watch this. Uh, let see, 20 years old upward, who have grumbled against me only, or have grumbled against me, apologize. Verse 30, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Why? Because being faithful and holding to God's word matters. It pays off when you need it to. Now, pause for one second because here's the rough part to accept. Are Joshua and Caleb in a good spot? No. Why? Because they're the only ones getting the promise. They're the only ones getting the promise. But I mean, for them, if you're on Caleb and Joshua's team, are you? Pre- I mean, if you're Joshua's wife, are you like, yeah, honey, good job? Are you like rooting for your for your husband? I mean, they're gonna make it. What's that? Uh, it may be. I don't know. Everybody, everybody might be against them. Get this: in spite of Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron's faithfulness, they're all faithful. They still have to lead the disobedient people through the wilderness. Welcome to ministry, right? Pastor appreciation, you got to give me that, right? Why? There you go. But seriously, think about it. That's pretty serious, Lord. But we were faithful. But we were faithful. But they weren't, and your job is to minister to them. Everybody see that? Oh, the people. Well, the people know. Here's what it is. It's just like going through the stages of grief. The people know, but they don't accept it because we're going to see the reaction. We're going to see the reaction. We're going to see a big no-no. So, but you're getting ahead of me. That's okay. So, moving on here. Let's see. Uh, let's see here. Verse 31, and this goes back to chapter 14, verse 3. This is important how this connects, because remember their complaint. But our wives and children are going to die. That's really what matters here. That's really the problem here. Notice what it says. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in. Who will bring them in? The Lord. You are worried about your wife and kids. Guess who takes care of your wife and kids anyway? The Lord takes care of your family. You don't take care of your families. Husbands, it's hard for us to take. Because we're fix-it people. We're doers. Guess what? The Lord takes care of your family. The question is, are you entrusting the Lord with your family? That's what makes the difference. Notice here. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in. And they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Now here's the reason for the time. Notice that the age of accountability, we often pull the age of accountability from this and a few other verses but notice the reason why is to specifically teach them the lesson you were worried about this you used your kids as an excuse not to obey me guess what i'm going to bless your kids but you will not go forward is the idea so now let's here's the time in verse 33 your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness even though your children will be with you you've put them through suffering because of your disobedience again generational situation So it says here, uh, until your corpses lie in the wilderness, verse 34, according to the number of days, which you spied out the land, 40 days for every day, you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. In other words, I will teach you this lesson. I will discipline you so that you don't soon forget it. One day spying. In unbelief terms, this is God's mathematics. Unbelief terms equals one year of bearing the consequences of that. Unbelief is not worth it, guys. If the Bible teaches us anything, unbelief is not worth it. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do. All this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall be destroyed. And there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. Now notice this. That's what's going to happen to the people. Here are the men who went as spies. Now, remember, they were all heads of their tribes, weren't they? So they had a sizable responsibility. In in, I mean, what else would we say? Decision-making going on with them as it was anyway before they even got started. As for these 10 guys, here's what it says who spied out the land and who returned and who made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land. Even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. God just killed them. By them encouraging and leading the charge for unbelief against what God said they could do, that merited the death penalty from God. God just simply took their life by a plague right then and there, done. Immediate execution. Okay, their eternity? Where is their eternity? They're believers. they're believers, so they're in heaven. They got nothing to show for it. In fact, whenever we read in the, in the book of Revelation, it says, as for those people, assign them a place with the hypocrites. I mean, hypocrites are unbelievers. Not that they're unbelievers like lost. I mean, they're people who are saved that didn't believe. Does that make sense? They didn't believe what God said about how to live their life. Not about they didn't believe in Jesus, that kind of idea. It's the idea, ooh, you had to go there, didn't you? We're not going to talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. We'll talk about it later. Real quick, let me help you. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is an emotion, not a location. Important. Moving on here. Verse thirty-eight. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Faithfulness is rewarded with life and life abundantly. Does everybody see that? Okay. Have fun. Have fun in the outer darkness. So, verse thirty-nine. Let's finish this up. I'm sorry, we don't have much time, but I want to finish up this little passage here, this chapter. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. There it is. They now respond in grief. Remember, the grief that they had before was, oh, the Lord led us out here to kill us. Now the the response that they have is, oh, now the Lord's not going to deliver us because of our disobedience. Now we're sad about that too. Terrible people. Must be from Seattle. I don't know. Verse 40. In the morning, however... They rose up early, and they went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, here we are. We've indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Even though we're going to suffer, the, even though he said we'd suffer the consequences of our unbelief, we're going to move forward, and now we're going to obey, because we don't want that option. Let me ask you a question. Is the consequences for their sin now an option, or is it a fact? It's a fact. When my son stands up on the couch... And I say, Nathaniel, sit down. And he looks at me and just kind of smiles and does this. I go, sit down, sit down. When I stand up, he sits down. Do I still spank his butt? Yes, I do. I walk over there and I said, no, it's too late. When I told you to sit, you should have sat. And I pull him forward and I swap him on the butt and I put him back and he cries. But I realize that if I give up on that moment for a second, I'm going to lead him into the idea of, oh, these consequences, I decided I don't want those. Now that I'm doing what you want, God, we're good, right? We're good. Everything's good. It's not good because they're still going to run forward to the Amalekites and the Canaanites without who? Without God. And he's the only one who will win the battle. Israel can't do it. These aren't trained soldiers. These are Masons. Not masons like secret society masons. These are bricklayer masons. These are guys that were making temples and building monuments and having idols. These are straw and mortar people. These aren't, let's pick up a bunch of spears and swords and shields and charge into battle and win. It's not who these people are. They're wanderers. So notice what's going on here. Verse 41, but Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? How come you guys can't think straight about this? He told you to turn around and go the other direction. First thing in the morning. When did he tell him? In the morning, turn around and go towards the wilderness, didn't he? Notice here what you have. Verse 40, in the morning, we got up and we went to the ridge and we said, you know what? Let's be obedient. That sounds way better than the wilderness. That sounds way better than our corpses in the middle of the desert. Way better. Let's go after these people. Moses says, don't do it. Verse 42, do not go up or you will be struck down before your enemies for the Lord is not among you. That's the point. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly, which we don't understand. Moses, you haven't been right about anything else you've said, so we're not going to trust you here either. You're only the spokesman that the Lord chose for this purpose, right? We're not going to listen to you, Moses. We're going to, we're going to get this. We're going to right our own wrong so we don't have to suffer the consequences. Maybe if we just pay in a little bit, we can get out from under this terrible destination. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was what was considered the manifest presence of the Lord is with a people. It was a representation of his presence amongst the people. The Ark stayed, Moses stayed. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. Now we would probably say today, I'm beat you down and send you running home crying to your mama is the idea, is what happened. They didn't just beat them on their own land, but they started pushing back against them and chasing them away. Because they refused to receive the consequences for the sin that they rightly deserved, they instead heaped more disobedience on top of it and ended up losing lives that day. Does everybody see how important that is? When the Lord hands down discipline, it is important to receive it And recover from it. And how do you recover from it? You hold fast to the word of God. That's how you do it. Let's finish with this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hopefully some of you are benefiting from the faith rest drill if you've had to use it. Again, you can get the secret site from Mitch and he can tell you. Where those audio sermons are. We talked about the faith rest drill a couple weeks ago. Look at verse 3, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. No, verse 3. Sorry. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. In your striving against sin. Anybody here not sinned to the point to where you ended up bleeding because of it? No, we haven't, have we? In fact, we'd much rather sin than get cut or bleed or anything harmful happen to us. Sin is the easy trapdoor out too often. Notice here, look at Jesus. Jesus would rather die than sin. Important to think about. It says here verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord, what? Loves, he disciplines. Why did he have Israel serve out these consequences of this grave sin that took them 40 years and even ended up costing their lives? Because he loved them enough to teach them a lesson. It's real easy to just let a kid go. Those kids are called brats, right? It's real easy to not take the initiative in a situation. It's a much harder thing to stick with them through the hard time and to use it as a training moment. Notice that's what God does with us. And he scourges every son whom he receives. He has no problem spanking his kids. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as, as with sons so that we may share in his holiness. Because discipline is meant to cultivate future obedience, and future obedience leads to us being partakers in God's holiness. It's a privileged position. Even God's discipline on us for disobedience is meant to lead us to greater fruitfulness in life. He doesn't cast us away. He doesn't take us to the orphanage and drop us off. None of that stuff he draws us to himself and he spanks our behinds and then he shows us a better path the children of israel compounded things when they didn't want to accept the discipline for their actions it's rough now real quick does you might have any questions because this finishes this and then next week we will pick back up in deuteronomy one and we will move forward sound good excellent let's pray Father, thank you for revealing your character as a loving father. And Father, sometimes we operate as such wayward children, refusing to be humbled, refusing to follow your word, maybe carrying it in our hands, but never adding it to our hearts. Father, you've given us your spirit to know the word. You've given us a copy of the word so that we are without excuse. Father, help us, Lord, in reflecting upon your love and drawing us to yourself through Jesus Christ and his amazing, amazing death on our behalf, Lord, that we would realize the privileged position that we hold as sons and daughters of the Most High King. Thank you, God, that you teach us these lessons so that we will operate in faithfulness towards you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.